Maggie. Welcome to our brand new podcast, Fostering Community with Houston Angels. Thank you so much for being on. I'm thrilled you agreed to do this with us because you and your husband have been fostering for how many years now? We got licensed in December of 2016. Let's talk about your foster care journey. And I'd love it if you could start with mentioning what part of Houston you're in and just give us a little introduction to you and the members of your family. We live in Conroe, Texas. It's me and my husband. And then we have three foster children, um, a three-year-old, a 21-month-old, and then a six-month-old. The story of how your family got started is really one that that began with a lot of heartache. So if you feel comfortable, can you talk a little bit about your journey, your pregnancy with your first child, and the accident that wound up happening? So um, I actually um, got pregnant and that ended in a miscarriage. And then later that year, I got pregnant again. And um, it was a very smooth pregnancy. Everything went perfect. Um, we were moving about three hours south of where we lived. And so um, my doctor decided to uh, set an induction date because we were driving back and forth so often. I was 39 weeks along and we were headed back to Austin where we lived. Early in the morning we had left. I was set to be induced the next day and we were about a mile or so from my mom's house where we were staying and we were hit head on by a fatigued driver. I do not remember anything. I had broken both of my femurs, my foot, I broken a few ribs and I had a brain injury. And then um, I was in a coma for like 10 days. Oh my gosh. And so um, when I woke up, I was obviously in the ICU. Um, I don't remember anything about from about a month after the accident. I did not know. I didn't remember I was pregnant. Um, I didn't remember I was married. I didn't remember a lot of things. Oh my gosh. About a month after I was on the accident, I moved to a rehabilitation hospital. Um, and so then that's when my family started putting pictures up for me to remember, you know, just to kind of get back my memory. And, um, and so about a month and a half after the accident is when my family reminded me or told me that I was pregnant. And as soon as they told me I was pregnant, I instantly knew her name. I remembered her, her name. It was Lucy Kate. And wow. after they told me that, and it kind of connected all the dots of my life before the accident, memories started kind of flooding back. Two or three weeks went by. Um, I stayed in the hospital, um, just in rehab and everything. And um, the doctors told my family before I uh, woke up that I would not function the same way I did before I, the accident. And so with the accident, my uterus ruptured and um, my daughter, Lucy, she lost oxygen and um, passed. And so um, my husband and I were both life flighted to the hospital and um, my daughter had already passed. And so um, I was never able to hold her or anything because I was in the ICU, but my husband, and my family were able to hold her. And um, so with my uterus rupturing, I had to have a partial hysterectomy and so, um, so on top of them telling me that my daughter had passed, then they told me I can't have children. Oh my gosh. And so I think at the time then they were telling me this, I wasn't really fully there yet because I was still recovering from my brain injury. And so I don't remember crying. I think I was just kind of in shock. Yeah. And, and I, I almost think that, or I think that I 
was just like, it's okay. We'll, you know, we'll figure it. We'll just adopt. We'll do surrogacy. We'll do, you know, or not just adopt. We'll yeah. adopt or do surrogacy. And so, um, I had, before I even left the hospital, um, after the accident, I had like, we're going to adopt four kids. We're going to have four kids biologically because I still have my ovaries, all that stuff. So I could, we could just still do surrogacy. And so I had a plan <clears throat> after we, after we left the hospital. And so, um, after we left the hospital, I was still in, um, outpatient rehab and, um, I, we were living with my parents because we were still getting better. I couldn't walk. Um, and so after the hospital, uh, probably about like four months go by and we were able to move into our own home and, uh, and then about a year later is when we um, brought up surrogacy with my sister because she's always wanted to be a surrogate. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if my sister's always wanted to be a surrogate and I need a surrogate, that's God's plan, right? Like, that has to be. And so um, as we were going through, I mean, we went through everything you have to do to be a surrogate. Um, we even went, we did a transfer and the transfer failed. And immediately after the transfer failed, I, um, I told my husband, I really think that, um, the plan that God has for us, um, is it's not a service here right now. It's and we wanted children so bad. So it was so hard for me to tell my husband this. And I said, I really want to follow what God has for us. And I think that, um, it's fostering. And so, uh, we had, a four bedroom house. Um, we had no children. It was just us in this house. And I'm like, we have these rooms to fill. Like, why don't we just foster because we have the ability to. And so, um, it took my husband a little bit of time to come to that. And so, um, when he finally did, um, we probably were in a class like that week, our very first class. And then since then, it's just been crazy. <laughs> Class after class after class. Um, and then we finally get licensed and then we start getting kids. <laughs> so what made your husband decide to actually move forward with looking into fostering? So I, I had mentioned it to him, um, I think a couple months before. I just kind of, just in conversation, not being serious or anything, I just kind of mentioned it and he was a hard no. Mm. I did not want to do it because he was scared to love a child that he yeah. Did like we, like we'd already been through. And so I just, um, continue to pray, just kind of, we didn't close that door completely. I just continue to pray and ask God to just move in his heart and, um, just speak to him. And so I think it might've might been a couple of months later, I mentioned it again. And I was just saying, Hey, there's a class, uh, like an intro class this week. Um, I really, I'm really interested in it. And then, um, that's when he was like, okay, let's try it. Let's do it. And so it was just, I mean, it was an answered prayer. Did you know anybody else in your circle that had ever fostered before? Or was this going to be something that was completely brand new to you? Um, and you didn't have a lot of people to kind of draw from? A friend of mine is, uh, I think she's a little bit younger than I am. Um, her and her husband had been doing it. And so, and I think they had like three kids. And I'm like, we could totally do this. Like three bio, they had three biological kids. Kids. Oh, three foster kids. Okay. <laughs> and, um, I was like, oh, 
I don't know if that's exactly it, but I feel like they had a few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would totally do this. Like, you know, she, and she was the person that I reached out to and asked all the hard questions. And, um, just, I, I still talk to her. I still reach out to her on things that we're going through that I've never walked through before. Okay. So then what were the steps that you had to take to prepare to become a foster parent? And as you were doing all of this preparation, what types of emotions were you feeling? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you unsure of everything? What did you feel? I was very, very excited to see what was going to happen next and who were our kids going to be and um, everything. So with the process of becoming licensed, um, you it's very overwhelming. I'm sure. If you just take it one step at a time, it's really not bad. Um, so you just start with the classes, and then once you finish the classes, um, then you do they do background checks, fingerprints, um, they do a home study, and um, it like I said, it also is very overwhelming and scary and stuff, but it's honestly not that bad. A home study where did they come into your home and kind of observe you and, and look at everything? came into our home and just made sure everything was safe. And, you know, the agencies will tell you what um, you have to have in your home or what you can't have in your home or whatever. And so um, then they come into your home, they interview um, you, your husband, or you and your spouse. And then if you have any um, kids above the age of five, I don't know the age, but, um, they interview all of you. And then they, um, you pretty much, if you have a good interviewer, <laughs> you pretty much know from there that if you pass, and it's not that difficult to pass. Um, and then I think a couple weeks later is after our homestead days when we got an email saying we were licensed and I jumped up and down when we Aww. finally didn't know that we were licensed. And so it's just been, it was a waiting game for about a week or two and then we got our fir- first phone call and I was so excited I set a special ringtone for- oh. <laughs> just so I know who is calling me that's awesome as soon as possible <laughs> oh my gosh okay so that was going to be my next question can you walk us through the day when you got that first phone call asking you to take a child in and what ultimately did this wind up being like welcoming a new child into your home our first day where we got, where, where we got our phone call, um, was pretty crazy. I was at work. I was, um, working at a church in the childcare, um, part and, uh, we weren't allowed to have our phones on us, but I put my phone on loud and just had it away. But I told them, I said, if I get a phone call with this ringtone, I have to answer it and so, um, because they all knew that what we were expecting and everything. And so, um, that day we got a phone call for, I think she was 18 months old. And, um, they called and were like, I immediate. Yes. Like I didn't, I didn't even think I called my husband. It was just immediate. Yes. We'll take her. <laughs> and so we kind of had set guidelines. Like this is what, yeah. we'd this is what we'd be like, uh, let me talk to my husband about. So, um, so what did they tell you when they presented to you? So they, I think they kind of told us a little ba- bit of background of her and then just said, okay, they tell us the race, age, um, gender, all that stuff. And then, um, so they pretty much asked, will you take her? And so I immediately said yes. And so as soon as I hung up the phone call, my heart was like racing. I was like, I can't wait. Like they were going to bring her that day. 
And so um, then maybe like 30 minutes later, I got another phone call saying, we found family that I was going to take her. We, uh, the pay- placement fell through. And so oh. in my mind, I'm like bummed. I'm grateful that family stepped forward for her, but I'm bummed because it was, that was going to be really exciting. And, you know, it's just an exciting day. And so I was like, great. Now we're not going to get another phone call for a few weeks. And so that same day, we got a phone call. <laughs> same day. Now foster daughter that we've had for a year and a half. We actually, I think I got that phone call the first day of December, like December 1st. She, they told me her name and they told me what um, kind of the background and stuff. And um, I said, yes, of course, we'll take her. And so um, then a little while later, they called me again. And I'm like, oh, great. It's going to fall through again. <laughs> And so um, then they just tell me that um, they, we won't be able to get her today. And so then I'm like, okay, well, um, and they're like, maybe tomorrow. And so then they call me the next day. I'm like, we won't bring her today either. And then they're like, we're going to try Monday. And so I'm like, okay, let's try Monday. I'm not getting my hopes up, but let's try Monday. And so finally, uh, I think it was a Monday, Monday, December 4th. Let's hope that's right. <laughs> it was December 4th, I know. Um, she came into our home. It was my husband and I were very, very nervous. She, she's 18 months old, but we're so nervous. <laughs> so, um, she comes into our home and she's so shy, so shy. And she doesn't talk at all. And I mean, I can't even imagine being in that place where she was, but um, she was just, she's the sweetest thing came to our home. And my, my husband and I, it was like Christmas morning. We were so ready to love on her and to just pour into her. Uh, that night, we, um, I took her to Walmart to get her, you know, pajamas and stuff like that. So it. what did she come in? Did so she come with anything at all or? She did come with stuff. But our um, agencies usually give you, um, like, not an allowance, but like um, a gift card with new placements. And so um, I think we got like a hundred dollar Walmart gift card. So when they brought and her so, to place her, they, we have to do a lot of paperwork, sign a lot of stuff. And uh, so she came with um, not a whole lot of clothes, but she came with enough clothes. I think she might've came with like one pair of pajamas. Um, definitely not everything that she had with her, but, um, or that she had at her home. So. Um, we immediately go to the grocery store or go to Walmart and we pick out, you know, new stuff, new clothes for her, new pajamas, some hair product, some, you know, toothbrush, all that kind of stuff. It's really hard. It's sad because you're, you know, you're um, wanting her, you know, you're wanting her to be completely whole, like her heart to be healed, everything be perfect. But of course there is um, just hurt and, you know, um, brokenness and, that you can't fix. Of course, I was like, let's give her a bath. I bet that'll make her feel so much better. And we put her in the bathtub and she screamed bloody murder. Mm-hmm. And it was the hardest bath that I ever had to give in a child. The hardest bath. Like I, I got in there with her, like fully clothed, got in there with her, just trying to comfort her and um, just calm her down. Because I mean, she's, she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know her, like anything. She doesn't know where her parents are. She doesn't know anything. And so, um, just comforting her and stuff. And so that night we didn't, we didn't have a schedule or anything. We stayed up later than we usually do. And we just loved on her and I rocked her in a rocking chair. She fell asleep on me and it was exciting for me, but I know, or I can't imagine how she felt in that moment. 
I mean, I'm just thinking about my daughter. My daughter is a little bit older than that. And I, I can't fathom her being in a situation where she's just in somebody else's home without any of her stuff. Yeah, doesn't know who these people are that are all of a sudden trying to give her a bath and trying to put her to bed. And, you know, you know that you're okay and you're safe and you're here to protect her. But an 18-month-old or any age, they don't know that. And so I just, I can't imagine what they're thinking and feeling in that moment. Um, I, I try to put myself in that situation. Yeah. I would act worse than what they act. Yeah. I was put in that situation. And so I, I really try hard to give grace and to just really understand where they're coming from. But sometimes it's just really hard. Mm. So, so can we go into a little bit about some of the challenges that you guys have experienced? Um, I don't know what you can tell us about, you know, some of your little ones past and some of the things that, you know, they've walked through and how have you seen that kind of manifest into their behavior and some of the challenges that have come up? Um, with our little girl, um, I'll call her T, with her bath time, it just got to where it's okay. Like where it's not knock down, drag out. And how, and how much time has passed? 18 months. 18 months more yeah. have passed. So she's been with us half of her life and it's still terrible. Yeah. No yeah. That is a really, really hard thing to do. So I'm like, I don't want to do bath, bath time. And so that is probably the hardest thing with her is bath time. Um, and then of course, just the regular three-year-old behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, and then with our most recent placement, um, we have her little brother and, um, I will call her a, she has been moved around quite a bit. And so, um, I think she's been in after her parents home, she's been in two different homes. No. Yeah. Two different homes since being in her parents. So she's moved three times. And how old is she? He is 21 months. Oh She's, gosh. She'll be two in September. Oh my gosh. And already yeah. in three homes. Okay. It's really, really, it's a lot different with her than it was with our first um, little girl. Just even with talking and communicating with us and stuff, she just screams and cries. A lot of it, I think, is have to do with um, building relationships with people and then th being taken away from them. We're getting her what she needs, therapies and everything. Um, but, and also food. I don't think that, um, I don't know if she was, she didn't have a lot of food, but she just shoves her mouth full. We, we're not getting her therapies yet, but we're, we're having her evaluated to see if she needs therapies, like food therapy, play therapy, something like that. And then right now we have her little brother. He, we got him when he was a week old. I have not seen any um, behaviors or anything that I think needs to be addressed or anything and you they always say like oh if you get them as a baby they won't have any trauma they won't have any, anything like that I don't think that's true but I have not seen anything any trauma or anything because he's only seven months old but that could always come out when he's older but he's such a good baby he slept all night he's slept all night like since he was a month old um he only cries when he's hungry um he's just the happiest baby I've ever seen oh <laughs> so, so that's who we have now we have um three children in our home, two girls and a little boy. So. Okay. Um, can you walk us through some of the demands that come with the territory of fostering? So, 
you know, how many meetings do you have to schedule appointments, yeah, but just little- caseworker visits and do you have to meet with the bio family? So what do you, what do you have to do as a foster parent? With our placements right now, with our two little ones, the siblings, we meet with their family. We have family visits twice a month. So in the older one, little girl, you can definitely tell how traumatic it is for her because her behaviors change so much. Every case is different. Um, I've had cases where no visits have happened. I've had vis- uh, cases where they happen every week. I've had cases where they happen every other week. It just depends on the situation, the case, where they, where their family lives, all that stuff. Your caseworker is supposed to come see you every month, once every month. So right now we have two caseworkers because one for the siblings and one for our older one. We have two caseworkers coming to see us from CPS. And then we have our agency worker coming to see us. And then we have um, the CASA, which is the child advocate, come see us. And then we have the, and not every month that this happens, but um, their lawyers or their ad litems, they come and see us. So you have a lot of people coming in and out of your home to check on you. Yeah. From my experience, they don't expect your house to be spotless every time. That would give me so much anxiety. (laughs) And I apologize sometimes. I'm like, I'm so sorry. My house is a mess. And they're like, it's okay. You have three children. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yes. When you think about just, you know, a normal lifestyle with three young ones, I mean, it's impossible to feel like you can keep your house clean for any kind of unannounced visits or anything. Um, and then to be in a situation where you want to present yourself in, in your best light so that they feel like you're really caring for these children yeah, properly. Like before we became licensed, I was like, oh, I'm going to have my house clean every single time. I <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we got licensed and then we got kids. Yeah. And so um, it's a lot different. And I actually heard one time, I don't know who told me this, a caseworker told her like, if your house is spotless every single time I come to see you, I would worry about the children. Oh. Because if you're spending so much time yeah. at the same time with these kids. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, oh, if they say that, then I'm not really worried about my house being clean. Yeah. If <laughs> they're prepared for, they're fed, they're loved, that's, that should be good. The mess, the toys is evidence that you're caring for them and loving on them and, and playing with them and. Yeah. doing everything that you need to be doing. That's, that's correct. So our, our, one of our caseworkers um, came to see the kids, I think it was last night or the night before we were outside in the driveway. The kids were in the pool, like in a blow up pool. Like we were outside with the baby. Like we were just chilling outside. It was a disaster outside, but they were having so much fun in the pool. Like the casework did not care. Yeah. <laughs> that's all they want to see. Right. And the, the, she was drawing on the, drawing on the sidewalk um, with chalk with the kids and stuff. And so I mean, of course that's what the kids, but that's what they want to see with the kids. So. So you've fostered a couple children who are no longer in your family's care and they've been reunited with their bio families. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So can you talk about what it was like when you received those phone calls that they would be going back and I think some of them were at such a young age. Is that right? They were only a couple months old. And yeah. so, so two, the two that have gone home, they've both been, um, one was six months old. I think one was four months old. Okay. So, um, that was my biggest fear coming into fostering was when the children go back home. But I told my husband, I tell myself this all the time. If we can go through what we've gone through with our child passing, we can go through really hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, nothing will be as hard as that. With our first little girl that went home, she was, 
I think four months old. We they had kind of prepared me for it. Um, they had told me a couple times I think that she was going to go home, and so I was prepared for it and stuff. But when they called me and said, "Hey, can you bring her tomorrow morning?" I lost it. Yeah. I was sitting on the couch. I was just I could not stop crying. I just lost it. I got up, I got off the couch, and I packed her stuff up. And I was so proud of the family for getting her back. And so I was happy for her that she was going to be raised with her biological family. It was just I had a pity party for a little bit, but um, after I got over, you know, after I had that, I I got up and just went on and just did what I had to do to prepare her to go back home. All of her clothes, diapers, formula, everything. The morning that we took her back, my husband took off. I mean, he just went into work late that morning. And so we both went and took her back. I wasn't able to meet the biological family, but um, it was really hard up until us actually leaving without her. And then after that, it was kind of like, okay, we did what we are supposed to. Now let's go on and let's help another family and help another child. And so then we got another phone call a couple months later for a little three-month-old little boy. He had already been in one placement that I picked him up from, and that placement couldn't keep him anymore. We picked him up, and I think the next day they said he had a visit with his mom, his mom and siblings. After our first baby went home, I was determined to have a relationship with bio mom, with bio family, with whoever it is, because I want to support that as much as I can. Yeah. Our previous foster baby, every time I would drop her off, I would drop her off at the back of the office. I would never go in. I would never, you know, talk to family at all. And so with this little boy, um, I took my foster daughter with me and I took him in his car seat and I walked into the office and was waiting to meet his mom. And so she walked in and I could obviously tell it was his mom. And so I introduced myself. I told him, I told her that I was caring for him now. I had started a notebook of um, just, oh, he laughed today or he rolled over today. And so I gave it to her and I said, and I, in the notebook, I said, I would love for this to be a way to communicate back and forth about this little boy. I just wanted her to feel supported and, and not that I was trying to steal her child or take, take that away from her at all. She felt supported and she felt loved and um, not judged like she had been before. The baby had visit every week with her um, biological mother. I had, my friend had written a book about overcoming her drug addiction and uh, becoming a mother of four children and um, just what her life has turned into now. So she actually sent me a couple of those books and I gave one to um, the baby's biological mother. You know, I had her a can- candle in there, just a few things to um, just let her know that I was cheering for her. I think that really, really said a lot to her. I gave her uh, my email address, like, hey, we can, um, I can send you pictures, take a new videos, because it's uh, those, those few months, those few, like those first years of the baby's life, that's like yeah. so important. Yeah. And I wanted her to be as much as be involved as much as she could. We had been emailing each other. I would actually ended up getting her phone number and just send her pictures and videos of her son. The caseworker would tell me every now and then, like update me and like how the case is going, if you know when she's gonna get them back, whatever. And so um, she finally told me one day, "Hey, it's gonna, it's probably gonna be like next week or so, I guess." I was more prepared for this than I was before um, because I was cheering for it. And I put that, I put myself in a position to cheer for that relationship, cheer for that mom. It was a lot easier to give him back to his mother. When I got the call that we were finally giving him back, it was just kind of like a, I knew it was happening, but it was still really sad. And so, I mean, we just loved on him as as much as we could that last week that we had him. And then that day that we had to take him to take him to his mom, it was, I cried in the car, of course, but it was such a beautiful reunion 
because she had her family back. She had her kids back with her. And I still have her on Facebook now. She posts pictures of him. And it's just, it's the best thing to see. Just have that relationship with mom. And then just to see how loved he is now with, back with his mom and his family. I have to say this, I have like goosebumps. My heart is racing. I, you are so inspirational. And it's just such a testament to how we all need to understand everything that goes along with this journey and how much you as a foster parent is, is really going through um, to love on a child and give them back and want to root for the family, for the bio family to do well. There's so much wrapped up in this and dealing with the trauma Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much to right. be done and it's just, you, you, you guys deserve support and understanding from just everyone to understand what you're going through. It's, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's, you are so inspirational. Thank you. And even though we can't tell everyone, every little detail of our children's lives, there's different ways that you can be involved. There's yeah. different, ways, different ways that you can support our family, support them in their journey of either reunification or adoption or whatever it may be. Like there's different ways that you can support that, even though you don't know every detail of their story or of their life. So my next question would be, if you had advice to give to someone who is considering volunteering for our programs and being matched with a foster family like yours, um, to provide additional support, whether it be emotional or financial, what would your advice be for volunteers who are coming alongside families like yours? What would you want them to know? That you're so needed. Oh, um, There's so many um, foster families that need just a listening ear that's not going to give advice. That's not, they just need someone to talk to or mm. uh, just someone, hey, can you watch my kids while I'll run, do an errand real fast? Because it's hard sometimes to load up all of your kids. We have three. And so it's pretty hard to do that every single time I need to run an errand. If you just be that person for someone that someone can just rely on for that kind of stuff, just to be a listening ear or just to be there for someone who needs a babysitter for a few hours or whatever. Um, it is just, it's so needed. Thank you so much. Okay. So Maggie, thank you. This has been so amazing and such awesome insight into all of the challenges and beautiful moments. Um, it's not all challenges. There's yeah. a lot of amazing things that happen and, and great relationships that form. And so thank you for giving us that insight on behalf of Houston Angels. We wish you guys all of the best and I really hope we can stay in touch. This has been so amazing. And for real, I have goosebumps. You are so inspirational.